Welcome to Forging Links. Forging Links is the voice of European social democratic activists with an Anglo-Dutch flavour. The podcast is an initiative of a union and the platform aiming to empower political activists by developing their skill sets, sharing their stories and generating social, environmental, economic impact. We're trying to promote the idea of politics with love, solidarity and prosperity. If you want to know more about a union, you can visit our website. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Dunn Street and the people from Socially Democratic Podcast who have helped us behind the scene, our producer Mike, and most importantly, you for listening. So, enjoy. Thank you very much. Valentine Brinkman, Kopal. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ali. How are you? Amazing. Love it. Love it, man. Yeah. You're running for uh, the Twitter camera, so the parliamentary elections. Um, they put you so far down the list, they just didn't want you competing with everyone else, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like they just, they, 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 everyone else was complaining. Like, if they put you any higher, you know, they, they'd lose, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's what I said to them. They save the best for last, right? So uh... exactly, exactly. You like that? You like that sweet dessert, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's true. Cool, man. So today we're just going to be like talk to you about what I'm interested in mainly is like your story. You have a very yeah. interesting uh, struggle that you you've you've gone through, still going through to a certain yeah. extent. Every exactly. day is a is a struggle, and people hear more about that. Um, and then, you know, get involved in politics, get involved in activism generally. Um, and just hopefully we can get to know you better. But more importantly, um, we can learn from you, learn from yeah. your example, learn from the, your, or how you've built yourself uh, into the person you are today. Sure. Please, who is Valentine? Well, my name is uh, uh, Valentine uh, Bringman Kopal. I'm 34 years old. I'm married to Lisetta, and um, yeah, like like you said, I have, I have a di- uh, may, maybe a little bit different a, a different story than the other politics. Um, when I grew up, I had a, my childhood was okay. And once I started uh, uh, going in like my 14, 15 years of age, uh, I was a little uh, rebel. I got kicked out of of schools and uh, started uh, doing drugs and basically went into this lifestyle of um yeah hanging out in the bars and and, and working in the bars and yeah it's a, it's a little bit strange world i got into and then yeah i did it for a couple of years working in the hospitality business in the in the um, yeah well and there's a lot of uh, drugs and drinking involved and then yeah down the road what, i went what is this well, what do you mean? Where in the Netherlands? Like, well, I used to live in Amsterdam. Yeah, I grew up in Amsterdam. And then um, when I got a little bit older, my first serious girlfriend, she uh, um, she wanted to move to Rotterdam. So we moved to Rotterdam. Then we got our own house and started working in the hotels. And then when our relationship was done, I moved back to Amsterdam. And then when I was back in Amsterdam, it all basically went downhill from there. So, uh, yeah, it was a difficult difficult time of my life and still is i got gladly i got out got out of it but it was a long uh long journey to uh to get out of it so we're talking yeah. about what specifically are we talking about we're talking about 
um, binge drinking, completely being black, blanked out yeah. know, on a monthly basis. No, it started off, what I said was uh, like, uh, in a small introduction, uh, when I was in high school, I was uh, yeah smoking smoking weed. Can I say everything I want? Uh, say everything you want. You can, <laughs> say whatever, you. you can say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, well, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great, Ali, thanks. No, first, first it was uh, smoking weed in high school, then skipping classes, and uh, had better things to do than going to class, and then once you get a... Um, like a, a, a D, yeah, it's a lower grade, right? The D is lower grade, and then they said, "Well, you're not you're not gonna finish school, so you have to do something else." And they kicked me out of school, and at home was not that good. My my parents, uh, yeah, were a little bit neglecting me, letting me do everything I like and didn't uh, pay paid much attention to me. So I was only always outside i was home late or not home at all or uh and i didn't well they cared but they didn't show i guess um so when when i moved back from rotterdam uh to amsterdam i'm skipping a couple of years and then i thought oh what is my life worth you know what what am i doing what is my what's my i was making i think i was making 1600 euros a month or so when i was still uh was well, a little bit more, I think, 1,800 euros a month. And I was like, well, I can pay my rent with this. And if this is it for the rest of my life, I, I, settled, I settled for less. You know, I, I shared a home with a friend at a very yeah, messy home, a very small home. And uh, I didn't yeah, treat myself good as, as I should, you know. There was no proud in everything I, anything I did. So... The only thing I was good at and was putting on a mask uh, in the bars and uh, making people laugh and having fun with them. And then, yeah, basically behind that mask, I was just very alone, very sad and very uh, depressed, actually. So I filled that gap with uh, partying with so-called friends. They were, what, of course, obviously not really my friends, but they, like, I was the guy you went to to have a good time. And um, I was there five days a week, so I had every day of the uh, almost every day of the week, I had a new friend or a different friend. And the days I were were, were off, uh, I would go into the city to not be alone and to do uh, drugs and drinking with my so-called friends. So I was in it for seven days a week. So it was really uh, it was really tough. I was, was uh, about I'm tw- seventy two kilograms right now. I weigh seventy two kilograms but i wore like uh 62 i was 10 kilograms lighter i was very um very sick i was uh, totally addicted i was uh, then and then i met my now wife then girlfriend and then she said then we had an amazing connection and we started off at friends and then all of a sudden uh, we, we started uh, uh really like each other and then uh, i said to her you know what i'm, I'm, I'm gonna quit with everything oh, stop using drugs and only maybe just drinking with you because we i have fun with that and and but i couldn't stop so i thought you know what maybe i should go do a day job you know working at night so i started doing day jobs i see you more often and then i work from 12 to 9 and then after two months i was like yeah well one it's pretty boring and there were where are my all my friends and so i i started 
tried to do uh, cocaine during work. I did it before already in the evenings, but there was like an environment where everybody did it. So it was like a party uh, a bar. And this was just like pe- people, all people were getting lun- lunch with their grandchildren. I was high in cocaine. Um, and then I thought, well, this is not working out. This is terrible. So I maybe do a breakfast job. So I worked in hospitality. So I thought working in a, ba- in a bakery, you know, and then yeah, uh, all of a sudden I was using cocaine at eight o'clock in the morning. Like, is it more the addiction that the substance generates or was it escapism? Yeah, it's, it's, it's another uh, uh, addiction that my body like physically wants it or needs it. It's not like um, uh, heroin or something, you know, it's like, it, it's just my mental state was like, I need to get this because, because. I don't know why, because it was like, okay, I have money in my bank, I can get it. And the whole, once I get this, this, this fire started in my mind, I cannot not do it. I cannot not do it. You know, it was like, I have to get it then. And it didn't give me everything. I was so stressed out when I had to go home because it was five o'clock in the afternoon when I have to go home and I have to have dinner with my, with my uh, girlfriend. And I was not hungry at all. I was totally high on, on cocaine and I had to drink bottle of wine to relax myself so i don't come and i always when i went home i was like i'm tired i just want to go to bed i don't feel that well and and uh when i was off the days i were my weekend days i didn't use anything because i was so so tired and so fucked up and i didn't i felt safe at home with her because i have could not use because there was no possibility for me to use so, yeah, it's like a different world, you know. When did that pivot? When did you? When did that? Was there an uh, epiphany moment? No, there was no nothing special. I wish I had a better story, but uh, there was no like uh, bright light I mean, where the I most thought... real story. Most people don't have epiphanies, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one was... guy and the apple fell on his head, and you know he's been. Everyone's been talking about it ever since, you know. Yeah, well. <laughs> Ali, I, I, my, my story is like, um, she, I said to her, like, I will quit. I will quit doing drugs and uh, I will be, yeah, yeah here's my girlfriend. Your yeah. wife, no. Yeah, our wife, yeah. And um, then I said to her, like, I will quit. And then after a couple of months, she said, yeah, I think it's so, she did such a good job by quitting, uh, quitting drugs. And maybe you should go to uh, like a rehab for aftercare. So. Mm. So I was like, this is this is a great opportunity for me. So I can go to rehab without anyone knowing I'm going into rehab, you know. Um, so I went there um, and I just basically faked the whole thing. I was, uh, they, when, the, when my sessions were done after like 12 weeks or six weeks, they uh, let, me, let me out with applause. Like, you did such a great job. And when I was in the therapy there, I was just ordering cocaine. I was like, yeah, I've done two hours. So I mean, meet me outside. And I could, I was so specialized in, in lying, in uh, uh, telling, you know, manipulating everybody. So in front of somebody, you have a certain mask of, I'm rehabilitating myself and in front of someone else. But it's the deceit, which you're probably referring to as the lying, but you have to, in order to justify one over the other, that, that duality of balancing all of that. 
tell me more about that like internal feeling. Which one was more default? Or was it a continuous struggle between the two parts of well, you? The one that wants to, you know, rehabilitate and the other one that just wants to continue the way you were behaving at the time. Yeah, it was it it, it was the same because every day I I and I knew I had to stop. I had to quit because it's not working out. And I knew if, if she finds out or someone finds out, I will lose everything, you know. But, for example, when I went on holiday, uh, there was no cocaine for me. So I was like, well, see, my mind was telling me, well, I can do two, two weeks without. I'm not addicted. I'm okay. You know, and um, I can still... Uh, if she wants to see my bank account, I can still like work, stop for quit for two months, and then she will see nothing strange. And I was talking it, making it up in my mind, so that everything will be fine, you know. Society, we demonize people addicted to drugs, you know, yeah. so any any kind of drugs, even even like medication medication that is prescribed. Yeah. We demonize people addicted to their phones, addicted to pornography, addicted. These are obvious addictions that we, yeah. as a society, have come about and said, that's bad behavior. And, you know, therefore, anyone who's controlled by these things is bad. But there are other things that mm. we, you know, other addictions that spring up in our lives uh, that, in society terms, are positive. I knew people who were addicted to religion. So religion just completely controlled every aspect yeah. of their life. But that's seen as a very positive thing, you know? Or they're addicted to succeeding in politics. I would say the way Ruta behaved uh, over the last couple of years, I'd say he's completely addicted to the, the <laughs> position of power. He's, yeah. It's very yeah. difficult for him to let go. Every move he did was not about people, public policy, uh, betterment of society. No, it was just about him. And everyone knew it. But nobody would, yeah. you know, of course, some of us would step up and be like, this is wrong. You need to, like, stop, you know. You need to go into political yeah. rehab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think. I, but the behavior, it's about that, con you know, being controlled by X. Um, and sometimes relationship also. Like, the person in your life is also controlling every aspect of your being or you worry about, you know, how would they react? Should I buy this or should I not buy this? taking them into consideration yeah yeah did that yeah did that you know that's what it sounds like from your side with regards to substance was that the case it, it's, it's so it's so strange because uh what i cannot imagine how how i was back then every every move i make was uh, 10 steps ahead so i was so in control of, of my addiction i thought i was in control of my addiction so i, I planned everything out but it was lies upon lies i was covering lies with lies and making things up and I, I was caught in my own web of lies so once once i just there was a point um when i was home because i uh drank every day to to relax and then my girlfriend not wife she said oh, you, you smell like alcohol and i would just stand like 30 inches away from her and i would say no you're you're full of it, you know. Why? Why are you talking like this to me? And I was angry, like really angry at her. So she had no like, what the fuck is going on? I had I drank a bottle of wine, of course, but um, I was so convinced and so pissed off, and I could let that emotion go for the rest of the day, you know. Like it was, don't talk to me. You think I'm a liar? And I was like really full of it, and like angry at her, 
and uh, uh, pissed off at her. And in my mind, I was just like laughing, you know, like, ah, oh, she felt, she got it, she bought it. And and then well, it was so strange. And then I, I felt sad and happy all at once. And I didn't know what to feel anymore. And then, well, after a while, she said, well, I, I, you're so strange. This is not the guy I fell in love with. I want to see you check your phone and I, I want to see um, your bank account. And then I said, yeah, well, I'll check it at home because my battery is, is low. And I, when we went home, I just tried to break my phone. You know, I just tried to f smash it on the floor just, just to see that it would break. And then she could not enter my phone. And then, well, it didn't break. <laughs> so she said, well, I want to see it. And I said, no, you don't need to see it. And I said, I'm, I'm still addicted. And then our worlds crashed, you know. I was um, doing 1,000 euros a month. Uh, income um, or spending? Spending on cocaine. And I was making like 2,000 or something, you know. So uh, half of my salary, because the other half was for bills and everything. I paid my I paid my bills, but also when uh, like for example, KPN was written off on my account, I booked it back so I can buy cocaine. It was really a fucked up uh, period of my life. As a society, when we come across people in that situation, and I'm talking about like health professionals, politicians, when they talk about people who are addicted to drugs, we have this. Uh, when we hear these stories, we easily start blaming the people who deal with it and blaming the people who use it. Yeah. But from your side, how responsible is the environment, the society, the responsibility laid upon you? Did that ever come up? That society had a role to play in providing you with the opportunity not only to not fall into the situation, but also to get out of it in an effective way well it's it's, it's not uh um it's not i don't blame anyone or i don't blame society i don't i even don't blame my drug dealer with all the respect he's making a living as well and well with the wrong with the wrong uh with the wrong job obviously but yeah you know um it's really strange because he had a kid as well you know and um and I don't, I don't blame anyone, and it's, it's, it's really strange because if you live in Amsterdam, you can get it quicker, you can get the coke quicker than pizza. But if you live in a, a village uh, up way up north, it's also easy to get, you know, because it's everywhere. So yeah, we we can blame society, but it's. I think the most important thing is is that once you feel sad or feel sick or you you you're knowing that you're using a lot that the the how do you say, um, I don't know how to say it in English, the, the, the drempel, you know, like the, um, the, the boundary of yep. the boundary of telling, I don't feel, I don't feel good. Can you please help me? Has to be way lower. You know, it has to be gone. Actually, you have to uh, step, can step in any time you like and ask the, the, the stigma of shame has to get, get, we have to get rid of it. That's the thing. I think in politics, it's very strange because on one side, we want, uh, we, we like, especially uh, people on the left or progressives or socialists, they like yeah. to have this idea that, you know, we represent the average person, the, the working person. You know, most 80, 90% of people are working and they're basically yeah. defined under that, on the, on that banner. 
we like to think that we represent all of them. But when there are people who have gone through these experiences coming come forwards, yeah. we tend to hesitate. And what I mean by that is in um, there are politicians who are caught while they are in elected position uh, using cocaine, using yeah. drugs or um, prostitution or any other demonized act. They are caught, it's a scandal, and they're kicked out. Yeah. For me, that sends really the wrong message. One, their reflection, most of the time in a democracy, their reflection of society. If we want to solve anything, we have to solve the systemic problem in society first. Yeah. And then we look at an individual. But we continuously scapegoat individuals who rightfully or wrongfully have done something that we don't accept in terms of ethics. Mm-hmm. But we need to think higher about what message are we sending to a young person who is struggling with addiction. Yeah. And then they switch the TV on and they see the shame, the demonization, the, the scandal, the, you know, the, the paparazzis all over that politician or person. And they'll be like, you know what? There's no place for me. So if I get out of this feeling and then someone catches me, and says, ah, we've got a video of you doing this, then what's the point? Society's going to deem I'm, I'm, I'm already the devil, so why should I change? Yeah, that's a good how, point. How can we, how can, you know, after what you've gone through, how can we change that dialogue, Could, you know, as a society, promote a healthier way of approaching people who are struggling, especially with addictions and, and mental health? If, from my point of view, I thought, when I when I entered like local politics, my 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 parents and my uh, my uh, godparents they just tell, told me like, "Are you sure you want to do this? Because you had addiction, and it's basically the same thing you said, right? They yeah, were putting yeah. me down, and they tried to protect. And I was like, "Yeah, well, um, I think it's way important. I will just tell them. I will tell everybody. And if they don't accept me for who I am, then this is not my cup of tea. You know, this is not the the place I should be. So I just told them up front." I told everybody about it, and um, I can do good with it, you know? And in the application, I, I'm not sure about the application for the Twitter camera, but I yeah. do remember I have seen some applications for elected positions, mm-hmm. and it does state within the application, you inform us of anything that could be scandalous or of a risk to the party's reputation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that... There's two sides to it. One is justified because, you know, you want to you be like, okay, if this scandal is going to break, we want to deal with it and we want to yeah. help you. But when it's in the beginning of an application for somebody that's unknown, it's a bit like asking somebody for their criminal record for something they did when they were 13. Yeah. You know, and it denies their ability to change or yeah. even justify. In the one paragraph, you have to state what you did Exactly, and how it's yeah. a risk to the party without explaining how you evolved. Yeah. Is that something wrong with the process or with society? Is that something wrong with the parties trying to safeguard themselves? Or is it a social problem, a systemic problem? Well, I think it's a social problem. And also, maybe also a little bit with the party, of course. Eh, with a, But for me, I already told them up front and my, my story was already out before I applied. Um, so... I knew there was no scandal for me. And I, I don't think addiction is a scandal. Like, uh, 
uh, I think addiction is, well, I think the process of an addiction could be a scandal. Like you stole, you robbed the bank to, <laughs> to, to buy your, to, to buy your cocaine. And I think using cocaine is and in a in form of addiction is, is not a scandal at all. It's just someone who needs help. And, um, and help like in I, that moment. It's not for, you know, everything is temporary in that sense. Exactly. It's yeah, not forever. I mean, there, do you still feel sometimes in terms of physically the urge to, when things are difficult? To use cocaine, or for example? Yep. Well, um, uh, well, not uh, not that much, actually. Uh, almost, uh, almost never. Um, like, but but for a couple of days, like we went to Brussels, right? And mm -hmm. I read, I read in the, uh, in the in Brussels on the website like things to do and things you should know, uh, because this was my first. It sounds strange, but it, this was my first time I went alone somewhere without my wife to mm -hmm. to not not protect me, but you know, I was I'm always with her, so. In my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to... I mean, that's your environmental out. support. That's your, that's your support yeah. network, of course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, I'm going to go with these guys and, oh, I could get a beer, but I can't, you know? So I, I don't drink at all. But the, these, these thoughts, just they go with 300 miles per hour in my mind. And, I, and um, I said, I looked that up and in some bars or in some uh, uh, subways or so, you can only pay with cash. That's what I read. So I thought, you know... I will take some cash with me in case my phone dies and I can take a cab home or whatever. Um, so I took 150 euros with me in cash. And then I spent 100 euros in cash in Brussels. And when I got home, I totally forgot about the 50 euros in my uh, wallet. And what, like this was like last week. Um, and so I was in, in the car and I was uh, checking out my, my, my cars and everything. And I found this 50 euros and I was like, Oh, no one knows I have 50 euros. So this all of a sudden my 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 mind, my addiction mind played up like, well, you can just keep it, you know, you never know when you have to use it. And it was like such a the devil was was and I was I was laughing at it because I know I'm not gonna use it anyway. So I they immediately took it out and gave it to my wife and and told her like oh, the strangest thing just happened in the car and I was just checking out my cards and I found this 50 euros and I actually hide it away again hit it away again because I thought, well, maybe in, in a point I can use it or it's so strange. You know, gone through this experience of yours yeah, and then going forwards with that into politics, into a very open social life, yeah. being very open about it. Do you worry that it defines who you are to a certain degree? Like a, the irony is, you know, like the very thing you're escaping from becomes the thing you are known for. You know, like uh, a bit like there are people who, for example, fought against dictatorships. Uh, I know, I know many of those uh, from my past, and then they are defined by that struggle alone. Nobody yeah. knows about their artistic ability, about their creativity, about their aspirations outside of that struggle. They don't even give themselves space for that because they become totally ingrained in that from a personal story narrative and society sees them only through that lens. Yeah. As an example, today we're not talking about your creativity. We're not talking about, you know, your 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 educational aspirations, your reform that you want to do locally. We're talking about cooking. We're talking about addiction. We're talking about the very thing that you are struggling with. 
that's a good thing. But at the same time, how, how does it feel to be defined by these things? Well, I'm not sure yet if I'm defined by these things, but I think there's a big possibility that it's going to turn out this way uh, because this is my story, you know? And, um, yeah, and, and in all reality, I think if I'm defined by um, see, letting people know they have an opportunity, even though they, even though they struggled with addiction, I think, I think that would be a blessing, you know, and I, I will, I will, I will take that part with all my heart, you know? So if, if, if people think, oh, this is Valentine, he's the, uh, the, the, the alcoholic with the cocaine addiction, but he, he's, he's going to uh, the Hague to the Tweede Kamer. Well, I'm, I'm totally fine with it. And if I can help people on that kind of level with it and be an example or hopefully an example for them, well, then it's fine. I know what I'm worth, you know, so that's okay. Uh, I have ADHD, so I have, uh, I have, uh, my impulse control is, uh, very low. <laughs> so I was at, you know, you know, when you're in the bar and you're, or at birthdays or at, you're at family and with family and with friends. And it's always some, at some point it always gonna, it's going about politics, you know? And I, I and I was always a, a PVDA, um, follower. I was not a member yet. And then I was like, um, I was so sick of it because everybody had their opinion. But why? Why was there a family connection, a local connection? No, not Amsterdam's at all. Amsterdam's no. a pretty, uh, like Amsterdam has a strong red city historically yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. My parents were uh, PVDA, but not very, very, um, yeah, fanat uh, fanatic about, or very eager to 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 express their feelings about the PVDA. They were just that local, the party they 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 voted on, but. Yeah, there was at at one point I I moved to the place where I lived and the 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 scandal of the the uh, yes, thank you. I didn't know uh, to it's basically like educational. Uh, well, Funds, it's right? more it's basically like a, a subsidy uh, to have your kids go to um, after you know childcare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Basically, yeah. the childcare scandal. scandal child the scandal, scandal was going yeah. on yeah. and. Uh, I thought, you know what, I'm moving to a new place and I, I don't know that much about politics and I just want to know the truth, you know. I just want to get more involved and uh, closer to, to the core of, of, of what's going on. Then I sent the, the chairman of, of the uh, PVDR uh, bar where I live, I sent him an email, like, I'm moving in June. It was in January when I sent him this email. I'm moving in June to Barn and maybe you have a place so, uh, for me so I can promote or flyer at the uh, next elections. Then I got asked to, to have a conversation with him. And all of a sudden I was campaign manager. And after two months, they said, well, maybe you go on the list. And I went on the list and I got elected. And then I got uh, 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 let, let in on the PVDA Academy. And then I met you guys and all young socialists who, who want to change the world. That inspires me so much every day. So that's when they said to me, yeah, Val, you should, uh, should try to, to get into the Tweede Kamer. Just try it and we will support you. And then, then I did and then it worked. If you could go in there to the Tweede Kamer, what yeah. would be the one key thing you would want to make a difference in? The one key thing. I think I will promote uh, uh, mental health. Uh, that, that, that's my thing. You know, I, I see so many people... I'm not like educated, you know, I don't have any diplomas. And I, what I know is, is people, 
I, I can see people, I can see if there's something on their mind or, and I see every day I see people struggling. I don't know how, how it was when you uh, grew up, but my parents uh, like in, around me, they still they told their kids, like, if you don't get a diploma, you won't be able to get a job and buy a house. You know, like the pressure is on there. And if I see where I live in uh, Barn is, is like, <laughs> it's like a white privilege uh, town, you know, there's all like, it, the elite people live with the average house price is over half a million. And then um, my house isn't, I'm having, a, I have a normal house, but like the, the house, houses around me are like 1 million plus. And people grow, grow like kids grow up knowing like this is the normal standard. Yeah? This is the standard I, have, I live for and they see their um, mothers and fathers driving big cars. And so I think the uh, perception of, of what, what's, what's normal and what is okay or what is as long as you are fine with it is, is totally is, is missing, you know? Like they they have to live up to such high standards in, and I I can imagine that they a lot of kids are depressed because of this. Yeah, because of knowing that they and and they get set up from the age of eleven, you know, and yeah. that trajectory is set in stone from the age of eleven. My friend, I went to university. I failed my first attempt at university, then I had to pivot to another one. I knew I always had to get that diploma because nobody would respect, you know, I had to get that degree. Mm. I didn't know how to learn, let's just say properly until about the age of 25. I mean, I would talk about, I'll talk about it and people can hear about that in another time. But basically until 25 is when I became like, oh, I can, you know, I can understand what's happening in the world. And imagine I was set in stone about where my, the limits of my aspirations were at the age of 11. Yeah. I think it would have just shattered me, destroyed me. I yeah. would never be I would never be here today had that started off all the way back. So I think we 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 have there is a missed opportunity and I believe there are people in the Twitter camera or yeah. within our party and other progressives who are looking at uh, yeah. reform in that area. But let's go back to mental health and your yeah, journey. Sure. Um you want to bring mental health. Now that's such a broad topic. Yeah. Is there is there something specific that you see is wrong and that we need to campaign to to change? Uh well, uh yeah, actually. I th- I got this I got this idea uh, of um like you have like the gyms, the the fitness gyms uh where you can pop in to any time you like. Um and maybe this is a good idea to do this for mental health issues as well. You know, um I'm going to um like what what you see in the movies, like uh, for example, in AA, you sit around in a circle and you just uh, uh, tell you, "My name is Valentine. I'm uh, I, I'm suffering from from addiction," um, and then everybody says, "Hey, Valentine." You see, what, like you work people uh, around you who um, are similar. You know, they have also have problems, and I think this is not outspoken that much because mental health issues is is such a big issue like people have burnouts the the kids nowadays are the, it's the highest amount in the in the netherlands in the history of kids who are suffering like for to the age of 25 with uh pressure uh suffering from too much pressure um, um too less sleep uh, addiction like there's no no place to go for them like the the the, the mental health is Everybody is a coach, you know, like you have a lot of people who are psychologists, but you have also like a lot of coaches or people who develop programs, but it's not, 
um, uh, valid as for your um, uh, insurance. So once I go to the like the local psycholoog who is who is uh, connected to a big insurance company, I can easily I'm insured for that. But if I go to a local one, if if I need if I need so, mm-hmm. like for example, in an hour I feel totally depressed and I need to speak someone maybe because maybe I I'm gonna hurt myself or whatever you know. It the 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 boundary of eighty euros to see someone. It, it, it's 80 euros it, it, it should be paid for you know so i would i would like to um uh, reduce the boundaries of going to a psychologist of to to a coach and i want to be affordable for everybody because i think if we feel good you know we will do good and if mm-hmm. you if you go to work and you make a million dollars a month and you are totally depressed by it the money is worth nothing you know, and if you feel good and you go to work and you make 100 euros a day, then then 100 euros feels like a million, you know? So you're talking about mental health clinics, walk-in mental health clinics. Yes. You're talking about promoting, uh, you know, AA-style circles on a local level and supporting yeah. those, providing space for those, uh, providing funding for even as little as just hiring the space or uh, some refreshments, sometimes as simple as that, or providing just a facilitator to be able yeah. to start up these things you're talking about like social workers equivalent so mental health workers equivalent of yeah. who go around the community ensuring the well-being exactly. of people uh you're talking about ensuring payments for more than just coaches there are some therapies who are clinically proven to not be valid to not be of of use to society are funded by insurances, and yeah. yet this, for example, uh, not all. Uh, it's actually declined. I know that there are at least one health insurer has reduced its its payments towards mental health rather than increase. Yeah. Um, and that's because it doesn't make financial sense unless we give them the incentive. Meaning, we make legislation and, and impose that legislation on them, and then finally. We're talking about like society and social, us all together, how we can impact that. Yeah. How can we do that? How can I do that? How can I, in my local area, support people who are struggling with addiction? How is that? How can I do better in that regard, from your point? If you want to help people out, for example? Yeah. Like what is, what is one thing that you think while you were going through what you were going through, would have made it because you talked about loneliness, for example, during the, that 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 time. You talked about not be, uh, having access to people to talk. How can I do better? Well, what you, what you can do is uh, it, it's. And I'm not trying to promote my wife here, but uh, uh, she she's a social worker where we live, and um, uh, she specialized in uh, in. Uh, more, more like if you you're losing someone you know for example okay. and uh, and um she has opened like meetings uh, she promotes it around uh, where we live and then one hour in every two weeks uh in the evening on wednesday people can uh, uh come in and so like grievance like, counselor yeah exactly yeah oh, but you can do it for loneliness you know you can do it for addiction i i opened um 
two um, meetings in the morning in Amsterdam, like seven o'clock in the morning. I went this morning as well. It's on Tuesdays and, and Thursdays when people can get together and tell what's on their mind. And that doesn't, that doesn't has to be, uh, have to be necessary only bad things. It could be good things, you know, just, just share, share with each other how you're feeling. And then you can say, well, I felt that, that way as well. I thought, well, I'm not alone, you know, so it, it would help out. So if, if your question is, how can you, can you help? Well, just walk into your local gemeente and say, what can we do? I have this idea. Uh, I want to help people out. Is there, is there room for it? Because, you know, I know some, co- like a coach who can, who can do it for, uh, um, for free or for, um, for 50 euros or whatever, you know, you can start by taking action. You know, if you see that around you, there's, there's, you need, they, they need help. Just go into action. When you were growing up, what were your, <laughs> What was your most significant aspiration? Like something you wanted to be growing up? Oh, I want to be. Uh, I still want to be uh, a right winger at Ajax. Growing up, like it was rare that a footballer would go past the age of thirty-two. Only only goalkeepers used to get to like yeah. thirty-five, and you're like, yeah. oh, 33, 33 and they're going to retire. That's it. Yeah, I think yeah. Ronaldo Cristiano is is like a thirty-nine plus now. Yeah, he's, he's turning thirty-nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Zlatan retired last year. He was 40, 41. Uh, he's, he's retiring because, you know, um, he's retiring because, you know, he needs to give some other people a break, you know? We don't play football. We play Zlatan. Like, yeah, that's, exactly. You know, so he's, exactly. he's stepping aside for that. <laughs> yeah, this guy's yeah. a legend. Indeed, indeed. Do you feel sometimes when you're sitting in the, in the council room and these civil servants are like throwing all these big terminologies around, all these ways of confusing what is their what they're doing in the council. Um, do you feel like a sense of like you know, like you're you sh- you you're not welcome there, or like an impo- an imposter syndrome feeling where you'd be like, I don't know what is going on in, this, oh, yeah. in the council. <laughs> How do you deal well, with that? Nice. Well, well, well I just, I, I, some, yeah, whatever, some terms of, of words I just don't know, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I just ask, what is he saying, you know? And and I'll, uh, what or what is he or she saying? And sometimes I just don't get it, and I I look at afterwards, I look at review it back, and then uh, I sometimes just Google it. When 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 we're in the room and, and someone's using the word, or some or someone, uh, well, f- f- farther along the way, there was this uh, a city councilor who, um, uh, who brought in a, mo- a motion, like um, to to um, that he asked for the for the city council to come up with uh, understandable language, Dutch language for everybody. So like the people uh, outside of this this this, this city council could know what's going on and um i thought that was a very good one and then uh, he 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 asked for it again in like a ton of incredible uh hard words to to define to define you know like to um uh, like redefine yeah redefine you know so sometimes i just ask when i don't just don't get the question and I will just uh, raise my hand and I've said, I have absolutely no idea what you're saying. Can you please <laughs> tell it in a, 
in a sentence that I can understand and people outside of this room can understand because I think maybe, I think you're onto something, but I don't know what it is. And then mm. some people will laugh, but not at me. But sometimes uh, afterwards I heard, I like, thank you for asking that because I was, I had no You'd idea. Be surprised how many, yeah, you'd be surprised. A lot of people have just like, um, don't feel welcome to, to ask. And that's, I think that's one of the key things about involving people who are not embedded in politics in the sense that they haven't, they, they have worked uh, in a council, they haven't worked in, 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 the, in the parliament. All these yeah. terminologies, they need to, somebody from the outside of politics means completely something different now that, you know, with the Trump era. But outside of politics in the sense that, you know, you're coming in and you're trying to represent people all, yeah. from all walks of life and you need to make it understand. They, I know for a fact, when I used to be in the council as well, they use language to camouflage, to cover up, to mislead. Yeah. And, and that's not just, people think that's just politicians who do that. Everyone does that. Even in the corporate life, people do that to try and just misdirect. It's kind of like a, just the magic that they have in their hands. But yeah. I want to know more about your feelings. Like, does it, does it motivate you to keep going or does sometimes you question yourself? when you're faced with this kind of imposter syndrome? No, no it, 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 it doesn't, like, it doesn't motivate me to keep going because I have a motivation that I want to go. And doesn't, I don't, I don't really care if people say something I don't understand because it, in the end I will let them know I don't understand it because I want to get to know, know the questions and uh, give a good answer to it because then I have to ask what the question is. And, uh, I have a quality that is that I don't think that much about what people think of me or how um, I come over to it. I'm not uh, afraid to admit uh, that I don't know something, you know? Well, you, I, I, think, I mean, that, that plays in your role. You've been very courageous to share your story, but yeah. you give off the feeling that it's just you want you sharing your story. It's not about, there's no, it doesn't seem like you have a struggle to tell your story. No, you want to tell like, your story, you know, straight up. You know, Ali, what the thing is, if if you, uh, if you, uh, up, from up front, like from the moment I will walk into a room of people I don't know, I will always be vulnerable. You know, I will always tell how I'm feeling and I always tell um, if, I, if, if I had a good or, or, or shit day and, and if people, some people offer me a drink with alcohol, I said, no, thank you. Oh, you're hang on over. You don't want to drink. No, I will tell my story, you know? So... If I'm upfront, I'm vulnerable. I, I'm unvulnerable. You know, people can't get me because I already told them. They already know my story. So, so people are never able to get me. Have you been in situations where telling your story has backfired? Because that's the fear, right? Has yeah. that materialized? Uh, well, not that I know of, actually. Not yet. I think it will backfire in the future somewhere. And um, uh, even though in my um, application to the to the tour for the Tweede Kamer, they they ask specifically about this because uh, they ask how how long uh, I was sober for, and uh, if they see any chance of um, of a relapse, you know, sure. not, not 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 in these kind of words, but they were trying to make sure that they, yeah, didn't. Got a junkie in the, in the in the second in the trade you know, and that's what the, that was the first moment I felt like okay, 
these people are cautious with me, you know? Maybe they think I'm unstable because I'm I'm very busy of myself. I cannot sit still for a long time. And um, so maybe they were cautious. Maybe because I told them, like, you need to put me in the top 10. <laughs> because because I, I know you don't need 10 of me because it will ruin everything because I'm all over the place. But you had, have, have to at least at least one because it doesn't make any sense for me to be on the bottom of the list. I will do it because it, 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 I'm very uh, uh, glad that I am on the list. But like, if you move me on top, I can make a difference. You know, I can be a, I can be a face for a lot of people who who, who actually want to be in my shoes. You know, and and don't are, are still afraid to to show their express their feelings. And I'm I'm not afraid to express my feelings. And I think in the politics, it's always like. Um, if you look at Rutte, you know, he, he waves everything off. Everything is someone else's fault. And he never takes the blame for things and, and never gets emotionally involved with things. And I think, I, I, I thought I would I never thought I would say it, but I think people like me and people like you uh, need to be in this in higher and higher positions. Just to just to send a message, you know, not not to to make important, well, of course, make important calls, but just to send a message, like it, it is possible once you set your mind to it, you know, and be vulnerable and, and tell people how you feel about things. I think that's, that's well, the most it's, it's very interesting that we, we and many people around our network and people we know have the same sentiment, which is we need to be, you know, we need to step up, we need to get into positions in politics within the parties within the society generally because yeah. we have the burden of responsibility on our shoulders we take that on board and we go forwards with that i always wonder about the people who get into these positions without that feeling of responsibility because it's clear there are mm. it's very clear the, the people that don't feel that sense of responsibility and you know doing doing politics to them is just like um, it's a career. That'd be interesting, it's you know. It's a career. It's interesting, you know. Why yeah. not? It's kind of like they're doing it out of benevolence, out of you know, the goodness of their heart, but they, their heart is not in it. Um, no. it. I mean, it would look if we didn't have that responsibility on our shoulders, it would be very liberating. We could do so many things, so many other things in our lives. Yeah, but we clearly do feel that responsibility, and you clearly feel that responsibility. Yeah. How do you keep up with the knowledge part of in politics and awareness? Do you, do you read often? Do you listen to audiobooks, podcasts? How do you keep up with not news, but knowledge as such? Well, um, this, this is not a very sexy answer, but I, I, I ask the people around me how, how they are. You know, this is, this is the way I can get my news from and, and just to know how people feel. Uh, everybody's it's easy to say everybody's against the war in Ukraine of course you know uh, I can watch the news and I can I can watch Wopke uh, Hoekstra uh, um, go go to the to Brussels and I, I know about and I'm up to date you know that that's easy to know but I think what's the most important thing is is the people around you you know like your neighbor or your, the friend of your neighbor how is he feeling you know what what is, what is his day to day struggle and that's that's the PVDR, uh, right? That's the that's the society we are. We want to get involved in the society. We want to solve the society 
so we can solve the country, not the other way around. And that That's, that kind yeah. of grows, you know, well, one of the most amazing things in the past, um, the labor movement or the socialist movement, when you look at the grassroots, especially in, in Northern Europe, you look, you see that it, the intent of education, the intent of educating each other, it yeah. was not dependent on the state to educate. It was dependent on if we're going to sit together in the pub, or in the kruh, or in the in the, in the local uh, square, we're going to yeah. talk and discuss and educate each other. You know. Yeah, exactly. If, if, yeah. If Tim knows something, he's going to come in the circle and he's going to talk to us. That building of social bonds based on sharing of knowledge, skills, experience. Yeah. That is something that we need to ensure continues and we continuously yeah. have. Um, I mean, that's the intent here. We want to share your story so others can also feel free to share their story and continue that relationship because, you know, as much as technology has taken over, what people don't realize is that the beginning of the labor movement in the, you know, the late 18, uh, 19th century, so 1880 yeah. or something, the immense amount of technological change of industrialization was incredible. It was nothing like we've seen, nothing compared to what the transition, like when we transition to generative AI today, yeah. it's just going to be like, you know how to use a laptop, you know how to go to Google, you know how to prompt and write into ChatGPT or any of those. And then, so we know there's a, there's a transitional knowledge, but going yeah. from sewing to operating a machinery, that's a huge transition that, is true. that people did go through and yet you find that's the highest moment of social interaction yeah. in the labor movement in the, in the socialist movement in the progressives and i think that's what we need to reignite the more technology we have the more that should justify our increase of of human bonds yeah i, I totally agree with you uh, for for example like the labor party uh, like uh, the partij van de arbeid the, the labor party in the netherlands like what did we do like really like except for the minimum wage uh, like we we try to extend the minimum wage what did we really like i don't want to downplay the paper partij van de arbeid but what did we really do you know like for the last years I, i'm i'm very critical about this part because what what i see now is like all right, if you uh, that you, we have the FNFA and, and if, if people like from the NS or the teachers, they don't get enough salary, mm -hmm. they go on strike. Oh, well, it takes a while and then um, uh, they get a little extra. And normally the Labour Party was for this. Like they come up for the people and they, they went on strike and they went to the Gemeentehuis and they pulled up signs. But it's not this, this is not there anymore. You know, like there are so many new problems um, uh, in the world right now. And I think the, PV, uh, the Partij van de Arbeid, the PvdA, is still at one point still hanging on like the old school style we were, like the, the traditional party we were. But I think we are on the step of evolving, you know? We still have that, we still have to have the rebellion um, uh, fighters mentality, but on a social level, because we have to invest in our people. like. The, the the people who have who are going to work and they are they, the laborers who are going into work we have to 
um, give them so much um, uh, like weapons to to go out and, and and conquer the world. You know, like we have to feed them with knowledge and and and, and perspective, and that's we have to do it the other way around now. So I don't know if it makes any sense. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I mean, it does make sense in the in the sense that we the labor movement didn't start yeah. as a party. It started off as a movement of people coming together, unionizing together, being a collective. And at some point they said, you know what, we need to enter politics and therefore we need a party to do that. I think there's a lot of responsibility laid on the party itself, but we're forgetting that the party is just one mechanism of yeah. performing, of, uh, performing uh, change. It takes much more than that. And that's what we're missing. And of course we can point fingers at the party and say, why are they not doing that? Because we assume there are resources, there is, there's a network they have access to. There's, there's a lot there resources that they, we, you know, people who want to reignite the movement can pull into. Yeah. But it takes people to, to move people. Yeah. And that's the key. I don't think the party is in a position to be able to do a lot of the aspirations that the members have. And therefore, it's up to the members to organize, exactly. to bring those resources, to do something about it outside of the party. Uh, and that's what I think has been missing. Why? And I, and I believe if we win the elections in 22nd of November, um, there's a danger that we get swept up again. We're, we're going to be in government and the expectations are going to be like, oh, now they need to do it. No, yeah. no, regardless of the result, regardless of the outcome, regardless of who wins and leads the, the, the party in parliament, our movement, our progressive, social, ecological movement needs leadership on every level, needs to be ignited on every level. And totally that's what we need to work on. Yeah. Totally Elections. Agree. Are a sim the elections are not the objective. The elections are a symptom yeah. of the success of community organizing, of upskilling uh, leaders in our movement. And we hope a union uh, forging links to this podcast, uh, having conversations with, with you, uh, the Paving the Air Academy, Kroonlicht, um, all of these different groups are trying to. to Fill in that gap. And we need to be as proud of the leaders doing that kind of work as we are of them who get elected. So it's a, it's a, it's a change within us that we need to do as, as members and as uh, aspiring leaders and activists. We need to champion every single person who bothers to take out a few hours of their Saturday to do something for society. We need to champion that person. When exactly. we successfully do that, I think the movement will, will, will consequently, society will appreciate it. And as a symptom, we will start winning elections. We will start being able to have reform on a higher level. Yeah. Then it's up to us. Indeed. Valentine, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you so you, much Ali. for your energy. Thank you so much for your struggle. <laughs> and really, really, like, you embody trying to do politics with love, with solidarity with others, with with trying to allow people to prosper and keep at it 
and let us know when you are down. Not because you are down, but because it gives us the permission to also reach out to you when we are down. Thank you, Ali. That's a beautiful message. Thank Thank you, Ali.